0: Welcome to M-Dash, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. I'm your host, Kim Aquaviva. Today's episode, Expert Patient, Impatient Expert, featuring Kavanaugh Quick. Well, welcome to the show, Kavanaugh. How are you? I'm doing really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to talk with you today. So first off, tell me how you like to be called, what name you prefer. I called you Kavanaugh, but I I didn't ask you, do you have a nickname you prefer? And what are some of the words that you use to describe yourself in terms of your identities?
1: So Kavanaugh or Cav is fine. Uh, Often people use the shorthand because it's a lot of name. I don't have a preference. Words that are important to me to describe my identities. I am a trans person and I'm an AFAB trans person. So I was assigned female at birth. I am a fat black latino Uh, i'm a femme those are all really really important to me especially in when i think about you know navigating the medical world and i'm also i have chronic pain and i'm a kinky person so all of those things really come into play in my life as really important determinants of who i am and how i talk to medical professionals as well
0: and what pronoun do you use? I use they, them, and there. Okay. Are you yourself a health professional?
1: So I am completing my master's in social work right now. I'm a clinical social worker doing mental health.
0: So how much more time do you have in your program? Uh, just under two months. Oh, congratulations. That's <laughs> awesome. You. Welcome to the social work family. Thank you. So I wanted to start off by asking about your experiences with healthcare professionals. What has it been like for you, given your various identities, interacting with healthcare professionals?
1: Yeah, um, categorically awful. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, and so there's a couple things at play, right? So. Um, A, the doctor just really scares me. I grew up pretty poor and didn't have good health insurance and just didn't go to the doctor if we didn't have to. My family is one of those deal with it at home and unless it's an emergency, we kind of leave everybody out of it sort of deal. So, you know, to set that tone, I I don't really feel comfortable at the doctor's office because it makes me feel already like something is really seriously wrong. Even when I know that it's not, it's just how I approach the doctor Um, but then within that, I, you know, I'm fat and I'm black and I'm trans and there's so many judgments already happening. So, so many times I end up at the doctor for something like I have a rash on my arm and I don't know what it was. And this doctor ended up talking to me for 20 minutes about my need to lose weight. And it was just, it was really awful. It was really awful. And that happens to me all the time. So doctors have so many opinions about the fact that I'm a fat person um, and then I get doctors who really don't know anything about being trans or what I might need um, and don't really want to listen to me educate. And also, I don't always really want to educate my doctor. So that's that's always hard. Um, and I have had wildly racist experiences, at a number of doctors, usually in the vein of, you um, expecting that I don't or can't have the knowledge that I do have about my body. So I'm really lucky to be fairly educated um, and, and able to do a lot of independent research and really understand what's being said to me. But doctors don't want to trust that. And I time and time again find myself saying, hey, I, you know, this is everything that I've read and I have a question and then just blowing me off.
0: Talk about a time that stands out for you. Like an experience that you had, that you've had trouble letting go of or forgetting or forgiving when it comes to that?
1: I actually have one that's fairly recent. It happened, um, oh gosh, it happened in like October, November of last year. Uh, So, you know, just six, seven months ago, I'm taking PrEP uh, as just part of my daily preventative care and healthcare for myself. And uh, I really love it and have had no problems on it, but it's, you have to be very closely monitored. So, you know, at the very least, every three months, I'm back at my OBGYN getting blood tests and having everything monitored, making sure that I haven't actually developed HIV in that time and checking my kidney function and all kinds of stuff, because it's a pretty intensive drug. So that's fine. It's all great. It was a, a, an informed decision that I made to start PrEP. And as a result, it means that I'm very regularly going through your analysis and I get my health records online. They get, you know, I have an online profile with my doctor so I can log in and look at my results um, and see everything that they see, which is really lovely. And I like that, it's very accessible. I was looking at my results and I saw some flags pop up under the urinalysis and I'm not a doctor. So I did the, you know, I used the limited knowledge that I had and did a little bit of research about what these flags might have meant. And it was something like there was like crystals and some protein and some other things in my urine. Cool. There are so many things that that might mean. I do know already though, that one of the things that might mean is that I have a UTI Um, And nobody said anything to me about these results. They kind of, you know, I got the the labs, they ran them, nobody called, there was no follow-up. So I called and said, hey, I just was wondering if somebody could talk to me about these lab results. The indications there show that I might have a UTI, uh, but I also know that there's probably other things that could cause this. Can somebody talk to me about it? And it was just a flat refusal. Nobody would give me any information about this. They said, we can't know for sure. It you know, it could have been a messed up sample. Next time, we'll have you do another one. We'll have you do a clean catch urine, and then we can go from there. They said, you know, maybe it could be as simple as that the container that you did your sample in was a little dirty. Okay, sure, fine, whatever. They really want to make sure. So I wait a couple months, go back in for my next update, do another year analysis. Unsurprisingly, it comes back with the same flags plus a new one. And again, no follow up. I called them and said, Hey, I really want to know what's going on. I'm getting the same flags, and now I am having other symptoms of a UTI. You know, at this point, I might have had a UTI for a couple of months. And I have a really, really high pain tolerance. And so pain indicators aren't always really helpful for me. Because um, that's the first thing they kept saying, well, does it hurt when you pee? Well, no, but I am peeing every three minutes. And so, <laughs> so you know, so again, I'm said, oh, I'm told, we, we can't really know for sure. It's really hard. We need to do one more. And I said, no, I've done two urines for you already. I'm not coming in and doing a third. Um, And it just happens that I kind of got my schedule a little wonky and had to go in for a separate STI panel. I I used to get my appointments all nice and combined into one, but, but I got a little bit off and so have my STI panels on the opposite months that I have everything else. So I went in for this STI panel and I just put my foot down and said, look, I have now had two year analyses come back with flags that show I could have a UTI. I don't know if I do. I need you to tell me. Like, I'm not, because what they said was, well, you know, it's easy to get worked up. You don't really know all the things. And I said, that's my point. I don't know all the things. You're a doctor. You're supposed to explain all the things to me. I don't know if I have a UTI, but I am concerned now that twice some flags have come back and nobody has taken the time to explain my medical results to me. And as a patient here, it is within my right to have accessible knowledge about my medical history. So they kind of scoff and they put me in the, the little like STI STD coaching room. They're told, and I'm, I'm saying to them, you know, I'm here for an STI panel, but I'm actually have no concerns about that. I just want to know about my, my urinalysis. And finally, finally 20 minutes after I have this conversation, this doctor comes back and she says, well, there is a little blood in your urine and that is something that is usually a pretty strong indicator of a UTI. So we're going to send your sample for confirmation testing but i'm gonna go ahead and start you on an antibiotic if it'll make you feel better (laughs) (laughs) and i i I laughed at her i said well yes it would make me feel better please go ahead and put me on the antibiotic and shockingly i'm sure two days later i get a call from them saying hey you have a uti great (laughs) i told you i had a uti months ago um and and it was just the whole thing was a disaster. And again, I'm not a doctor, and they're totally right. I don't have a medical degree. I have not studied any of these processes, which is precisely why I need clear communication from a medical professional that says, hey, here's what's going on. And really what I was just asking for was, I'm worried about this, but you're not. Can you tell me why you're not worried? That's what I want to know. It doesn't have to be. It's like they're afraid that if they give me the knowledge that suddenly I'm going to quit going to the doctor.
0: That's a great story and a great example of a healthcare professional who isn't used to having an informed patient. Yeah. Someone who really knows what's going on. And and even though you're not a doctor, you have knowledge about your own body. right? And even folks who are not clinicians, whether it's nurse practitioner or PA or MD, you can certainly see the flags when you get test results back. And those flags can be alarming. And so it is, I think it's a pretty reasonable expectation that a healthcare professional would say either, hey, these flags are worrisome, here's what we're going to do, or here's why I'm not worried, and right. here's why you shouldn't be worried. You need a new healthcare professional. <laughs> yeah, I fired them. <laughs> you're doing all the right things. You are, you know, you're being responsible about being proactive. You're on prep. You're getting STI panels. You're you're taking charge of your health, and you need a healthcare professional that's going to respect that. Um, because you're holding up your end of the bargain. You need someone who's going to hold up theirs. So I'm glad
1: you yeah, fired them. Was, it was so wild. I did. I fired them immediately. I was like, this is impossible. And it's something that was only caught because I was doing my job of showing up for my routine care wow. for my prep, right? If I hadn't shown up to get my kidney function
0: tested via this urinalysis, nobody would have known. Wow. So I'll, I'll right? give my big shout out for nurse practitioners. So I love physicians, but I also love nurse practitioners and yes. have had so many great experiences with NPs who are really willing to sit down and talk. So uh, if you're ever looking for a healthcare professional, I highly recommend you check out <laughs> NPs. Uh, they're amazing. No doubt. That's a
1: great recommendation. Which, I mean, it's not surprising. Nurses are really carrying it in a lot of ways across all different versions of the medical field, Yeah, right? and the
0: way that they so. um, approach understanding a patient and the the way that they approach understanding what's going on with a patient, a big central piece of it is also what does the patient understand is going on with themselves and right. what does the patient think is going on with themselves? Because the, the expert in the patient's body is the patient? That's that's the most expert person in the room when you're meeting with a right. healthcare professional. So you had mentioned that you identify as fat, uh, and that as yes. a fat person, when you go to the clinic, they really obsess over the fact that you are above what they consider to be the weight that they would want you to be at. What do you wish healthcare right. professionals would do differently? Like if you could redo the healthcare system to be able to be more inclusive of people of all sizes.
1: You know, the biggest thing for me is I want them to quit assuming that I don't know that I'm fat. (laughs) Like, it really, the conversations are always rooted in this, like, uh, number one, so many of my health professionals still use the, like, really outdated model for calculating BMI, which is missing a lot of information and is just really misleading. And so I I would love to see that I Like, I just need to be done with that. It's not helpful, but my my clinicians often approach me with this idea that they're like giving me new novel information about my existence and they talk to me as if I'm a child in re- in relation to that and then when i say yes i know that i'm fat and here's what my day-to-day function looks like and here is what blah 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 is happening in my life which you know i have such mixed feelings about feeling like I need to justify to my clinician. You know what? I do go to the gym for almost 10 hours a week. Like I'm very fat, but
0: I spend a lot of
1: time in the gym.
0: (laughs) You are fit fat. That is like, that's excellent.
1: So, and I feel, so there's the feelings about having to justify that to begin with, but also please don't pretend like I'm lying to you. What do I gain by telling you that I do this thing that I don't do? You're still lecturing me and you're still talking to me like I'm a child. Um, and, and I just wish that they were able to take at face value information about my body and what I do. It's, it's, it's mind blowing the like expectation that I'm just fibbing.
0: Well, here's the <laughs> the interesting thing. So I'm, um, I'm not thin, but I'm not fat. I'm just kind of like standard issue, lesbian, blah, muffin shaped body, right? Like nothing, <laughs> not, not on either extreme, but I'm clearly not in shape,
1: mm-hmm. but I'm
0: not big, So my clinicians never ask me about exercise and I am a slug. And I think they make, they probably just make the assumption that because I'm not what they consider fat, I must be taking care of my health. And so those assumptions about body and exercise end up hurting people on both ends. You're super fit, you're exercising, and they're deciding that you must not be because you're fat. And they look at me and decide she must be exercising and really like, I don't. (laughs) Right. and It's to the point where I actually, um, my gym
1: has an online app or like a phone app. So I had to download it and it records all of my exercises. Like it not only records when I check in and out of my gym, but it also connects to my Fitbit and records everything that's going on there. And this is the only way that I've ever been able to get a doctor to really believe that I am actually going to the gym it's like they think that i'm lying not not just about going to the gym but that like i've somehow swindled my fitbit or my exercise blog and when i was just you know keeping a record of it by hand which is something i do i'm a bullet journaler so i like you know i have logs of that sort of stuff um They didn't believe it when it was handwritten, but now that there's some machine that is clearly saying, look, here is a log of this person checking in. Here is a detailed information about all of their activity. Now they believe me. Wow. Isn't that wild? Like It's mind blowing that that there's so much skepticism about what I'm saying.
0: Well, and the idea about policing bodies also, you know, that... You can't trust the person who owns and occupies that body to tell the true story of how they live in that body. Right. And it's so disrespectful to not believe you because what's the upside to lying? You know, <laughs> so, like why Why would you do that? Right. Um, that's bizarre. So you identified as a kinky person. Yeah. Have you had experiences talking with healthcare professionals about kink? or have they ever asked questions?
1: Um, Yes, and yes, and I really do my best to only talk to my sexual health provider about my kink. Um, Mostly, my general practitioner just has never been helpful in that regard, and she's actually a really, really nice lady, but it's none of the things that I ever go visit her for really overlap with my kink practice. So the only person I have conversation about it is my sexual health provider. Um, but what's nerve wracking about that is that uh, as you people might know, sometimes there are kink activities that leave marks on your body. Right. right. Um, and one of my favorite activities actually tends to leave marks that look like they could be self harm marks. Uh, and so I'm very aware of that. And it would be a thing that I would anticipate and expect to generate a question of some sort whenever I go to the the doctor, no matter what I'm there for. And in my life, those marks tend to be pretty visible. They tend to show up on my arms. And so really, really, it should be triggering some sort of question around like a safety or suicidality screen, right? A self-harm screen of some sort. And often it doesn't, which is s- stressful in its own right. I've left clinics like on the grounds that I'm worried that they're not actually paying attention to these sorts of things.
0: Yeah. If you go in with a massive bruise or cut on your arm and they're not asking a question, they may be missing other things. Also, (laughs) So (laughs) So that doesn't
1: make me feel good. And so the clinic that I am at now is the one where I came in and they actually, you know, took notice and did a quick screen. And I was able to say, oh no, this was a consensual activity. It's part of my kink practice. And it's, that's part of my sex. Um, And so now that's where I have most of the conversation about it. And They often don't ask further question, which I I know that there's a there's it's about trying to navigate what's curiosity and what's medically relevant. Right. And so I have confidence that um, the M.A. who sees me whenever the medical assistant who sees me um, and gets me situated in an exam room. I have complete confidence that she is really, really sorting through what questions she feels are appropriate and necessary. But they never ask anything beyond, you know, like, is it consensual? Is it? something that's okay. What are your safety precautions? And that's really how far the conversation has gone. And for the most part, I think that's really been fine and worked for me because I'm very informed, but I would be nervous. I don't know what else I would expect them to ask. Um, I do know that the, the doctor um, who sees me at the clinic that I actually fired um, was like so horrified and taken aback that this was my sexual practice and really refused to believe that it was like a consensual
0: practice
1: or that it didn't indicate not that it was consensual, but she was, she was worried about the state of my mental health. Wow. Um, And I thats that's the only time that I've ever encountered that. I know that I've other people have run into that, but it was the first time in my life where somebody has questioned my mental health in relation to my sex practice. And I was just like, everything about this place is terrible. So I can't. (laughs) I can't come back. So and, right. And when I said, actually, I'm a mental health provider. Um, and so I'm, I'm acutely aware of, of the concerns that you might have. And I, they're not, you don't have to have them. And my practice this way isn't an indicator of mental health need. Um, she was just, it was, she just doubled down really. And was like, well, you know, I, just because you work in the mental health field or like you have knowledge there doesn't mean it's easy. We often overlook ourselves. And I was like, oh, okay.
0: Well, as soon as a healthcare professional decides if you have anything other than very vanilla sex, you are somehow mentally ill. I think it's good to move on and get a new <laughs> provider. Yeah. So now, you know, I have a clinic that asks the questions that they feel that they need
1: to ask. And I don't feel any trepidation. Like I'm, it's I feel okay and able to bring up anything that I might need to bring up, but they don't pry. And that's exactly a good middle
0: ground for me. Do you feel like um, healthcare professionals are overly curious about your trans identity or over-focus sometimes about that uh, when you feel like it's not medically relevant? Or have you not had that experience?
1: Uh, you know what? The focus has been really intense about... My so I've had I've had top surgery, I had a double mastectomy, um, and I'm on testosterone. And that has that was the extent of my transition. Um, And so the focus has been lots and lots of curiosity about whether or not I intend to have like a phalloplasty or have anything done to my junk um, in a way that's like really, really exhausting and is kind of born out of the like old school thought about what it means to be trans and like I must be feeling trapped in my body and and clawing myself from the inside out to erupt into some I don't know beautiful man butterfly and I just <laughs> I'm not feeling that at all and I'm really comfortable and excited about my junk um, the way that I use it and the way that I can use it and so there, I spend a lot of time saying actually I'm really fine I really don't there's literally nothing else here to talk about um, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, but beyond that, um, my biggest problem is actually f- lots of confusion about what sort of sexual categories I should be included in. So oh, interesting. yeah, so I'm technically not in, ter- in terms of like, the way that uh, departments of health And federally, we tend to categorize these things, even though I am a person whose gender marker says male now, and I'm on testosterone and all of that, and I have sex with men, both cis and trans, um, I don't technically fall into the men who have sex with men category. But if you don't know that I'm trans, I do fall into that. So then they're like,
0: what do we do? I'm sure that's confusing. So our healthcare professionals, do you feel like they're struggling to figure out what kind of counseling to give you around things like STI prevention or just in general or for more screening? Both.
1: Yeah. So I went in, um, this this is like a host of horrible things at this clinic that I fired. I went in and asked for um, a throat swab for chlamydia and gonorrhea. I'd had an oral exposure um, and I, the, the, it sounds like I'm making this up whenever I tell this story, but I'm just really not. It's so bad. Uh, I, I was, you know, the, the physician's assistant who was like, got me set up in the exam room was like, oh, that's totally fine. I'll prep a swab. I'll let the doctor know we'll get it all done. The doctor comes in and says, why do you want this throat swab? And I said, well, I, <laughs> I had an oral exposure, uh, and I need to, you know, it's important for me to know my STI, status. So I, I need Testing um, and the exposure. You know, I was like, this happened like three or four weeks ago, so I'm past the incubation window. You should be able to tell me right now. The results should be current. Um, and she says to me, "Well, we do genital swabs for STIs, CDs." And I said, "That's that's fine, but I didn't have a genital exposure, um, and so doing a genital swab will not give either of us useful information." <laughs> And I I swear to you, she looked me in my eyeballs. Like it would be one thing if maybe she was looking, maybe, I don't know. I can't imagine a scenario where this would be okay, but she looked me right in the face and said, well, if you have it in your throat, you have it down there. Wow. (laughs) Yes. That was my response. And I, I paused for a second and I thought, okay, no. And again, I'm not an MD, but I do know that my wow. voz, Yeah. And my throat are, are closed systems that are not connected to one another. And I said, what's the mechanism by which an infection in my throat would travel to my vagina? And she said, oh, you know, just like anything else, which was where I said, yes, that's, that means we're making the same point, though. Nothing else does that. <laughs> Zero things do that. So I really need this throat swab.
0: Wow. Well, and it sounds like it was completely outside the realm of what they were even thinking that people might need throat swabs at all. I mean, it, it, so that does make you wonder if people come in and have a swab and, and if someone came in and needed a vaginal swab and it's negative, that doesn't mean they don't also need a throat swab. Exactly. And I was so horrified that so, you know, I, I am a
1: sex educator, and I work in sex and pleasure wellness. And so it is my job to have a certain amount of information specifically about STIs and STDs and infections and that sort of stuff transmission rates. So I was really stressed that perhaps I was desperately missing important information that was relevant to my job and my clients. And I was so stressed. So The end result is that I argued with her until she agreed to do the swab. Um, And then when I left, I contacted a friend who has a boyfriend who's a doctor. Uh, And I I said, listen, I just need you to, to ask Dr. Boyfriend, if, if this is like, am I wrong? Or was this doctor wrong? Is there any possible way that doing a vaginal swab would, would show an indication of a localized throat infection in me? And he, he said, I, that sounds absurd, but I'll ask. And of course his boyfriend came back and said, absolutely not. That's, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And he did offer though, that right now the recommendation is that they're only doing throat swabs for people who fall into the MSM category. And so it's possible that part of her resistance was that I don't technically fall into the men who have sex with men category because I have a vulva.
0: Isn't that interesting though, that, you know, the whole idea about that, those categories it really has less to do with the body, the actual organs, and yeah. more to do with categorizing based on behavior. So, exactly. So if people are, so when people get lumped into a category, healthcare professionals are missing the opportunity to have a conversation about behavior. So it doesn't matter Absolutely. You know, if you identify as a man who has sex only with his wife and um, Really? And and, the, and you identify, well, it doesn't mean that that actually aligns with your behavior. Right. <laughs> so they should be asking questions about, okay, well, yes, you identify as a person who's in a monogamous marriage with someone of the, of the other gender, but who are you having sex with? And so those categories miss a lot of information.
1: They really do. And regardless of my body parts, my risk level isn't actually going to be that different because I have sex with men who have sex with men. Right. Right. So, so any sort of slight application of knowledge and like deductive reasoning would indicate that even though I don't technically fit into the MSM category, so I'm a person who should still be getting the medical accoutrements that go with being in the MSM category.
0: It sounds like you're really informed about your healthcare needs. Yeah. You know, you're and you're really good at advocating for yourself and the STI screens and also prevention um, yeah. uh, medications that you need. So you're doing all the right things. But anytime a patient says, I need a XYZ swab because I've had an exposure, it, it's generally a good idea to go ahead and listen to them. Um, right? Because people typically... You know they're not sitting at home on a Saturday going, I'm bored. I totally should go get a throat swab for gonorrhea. <laughs> like people don't right. make that up. Um, so if you go into your clinic and you're asking for it, people no should. Really and listen. that is the
1: real thing. How a lot of patients don't have even half of the knowledge that I'm very lucky to have. And so if I can even identify that this is a test that I know can be run, please give that some credit. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being on the show. This was amazing. I could talk with you for five (laughs) hours. Um, And sadly, I think you probably have five hours worth of bad experiences with healthcare professionals. That's true. (laughs) So I really hope that some healthcare professionals will listen to the podcast and do things differently as a result of hearing your stories. No doubt. Me too. Thanks for being on the show.
1: You're so very welcome.
0: You've been listening to M Dash, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. For show notes for today's episode, visit our website at www.em-podcast.com.